Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. Anyone who has ever been involved in litigation knows it can often take years before a case is resolved, even if the case is ultimately settled. If the case goes to trial, the time it takes to get a resolution is even longer. And if the case is appealed by the losing party, more years can be added to the litigation process. And the longer litigation takes, the more expensive it is for both parties. But there are other options to resolve legal disputes. Within our legal system, there are a variety of forms of alternate dispute resolution systems that allows parties to resolve their issues more quickly and with less cost. On this evening's show, we're going to discuss the various forms of alternative dispute resolutions, referred to as ADR, and we'll talk about when it might be better for disputing parties to seek these alternatives to litigation to resolve their differences. For this discussion, we have Pam Glean, who is a professor and chair of the Dispute Resolution Institute at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and Mavis Scragg, supervising attorney for the NCCU School of Law Dispute Resolution Clinic. She's also a board member of the Dispute Settlement Center and founder of the Gregg Law Firm, where she practices estate planning. Thank you both for being here with us Thanks this evening. For us Thank you. So, alternative dispute resolution, known as colloquially as ADR. Pam, let's let's start with you. How did ADR develop in the legal system? Well, there was an overflow of trials that were going on in our court system nationwide, truly, and backlogs. And as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, it's taken too long. People were dissatisfied uh, and did not have a resource for effective and efficient conflict resolution. North Carolina, believe it or not, in 1985 recognized that. And when the Office of Administrating Hearings decided that they needed to be more efficient conducting their hearings, and they ran a test trial for utilizing mediation instead of the hearing format, which is much like the trials in courts. And it went over so well that uh, the state ended up adopting this procedure in North Carolina. So. Believe it or not, we were one of the first states, one of the early states, North Carolina being a little progressive Mm -hmm. at that time. And we ran a trial run throughout the state, and it kicked off. Okay. So you mentioned mediation. So, Mavis, can you talk about what mediation is? And uh, I know people have heard about mediation and arbitration. If you could explain what the difference is between the two. Sure. So mediation is a process that involves a third party neutral whose role it is to facilitate the conversation between the two disputants. 
their job is very distinct from a judge or an arbitrator. Their job is not to make a decision on how the conflict is resolved. Instead, they facilitate the conversation, they aid the parties in communicating about their interests and their needs and their perspective of the conflict, and then the parties can decide how the conflict is resolved. Um, and so that's the, the key factor, is that the mediator is not a decision maker. Um, in arbitration, it's similar to trial in that you have a third party neutral whose job it is to hear the facts and the, um, determine if there has been some sort of breach or wrongdoing and then make an, a decision that's called a, an award. And so it's similar to a judge, um, but it's private. The parties hire the arbitrator. They get to choose who the arbitrator is. So it also gives them some autonomy in how their, their case is resolved. Okay. So, Pam, can you tell us what the what what happens within the NCCU School of Law Dispute Resolution Institute? Oh, a lot happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a number of different courses that we provide for our students. Arbitration is one of them. <laughs> Negotiation, mediation. Uh, we have an ADR clinic where our students go with Professor Gregg and other adjunct professors who mediate disputes for the court system and for the community mediation centers as well. So that's a wonderful opportunity. There are also some other courses that our students can take, especially during the summertime, about how to recognize conflict and manage conflict, taught by a professor, adjunct professor from NC State. And we have... um, a writing seminar that I teach about how to problem solve because that is one of the key skills that our mediators have to have to um, facilitate resolution for the public. We also sponsor a mediation team that goes across the country to compete against other schools uh, for mediation competitions. And if I may add, Mm -hmm. um, North Carolina Central Law School is the first law school in the state to have a comprehensive program. Um, So we should be very proud of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was was working for Professor Mark Morris, who's retiring now. (laughs) But he he taught the first um, class at the law school, and there was no other classes uh, that were being given at the uh, law schools in, uh, throughout the state. And sure enough, the success was so good that he and our former Dean Pierce went to the university trustees and asked to develop the courses into an institute. Um, where 1996, I think it was, when they said, 2006 was when they would um, when they ended up approving it. And we expanded then into a program, a 40-hour training program. At that time, you have to be a trained mediator to get approved by the state to mediate complex cases. And so that was a popular resource for practicing lawyers who wanted to participate as mediators in what they've been doing anyway, which was negotiation. And so that took off as well, and we were very successful. We were successful in our competitions with our students, 
and our classes were very popular at the time. And so we've been going on ever since. Well, you know, the uh, skills that you pick up uh, in the uh, mediation process, the ADR uh, process, uh, are very uh, important. Uh, I know a lot of students and lawyers mm-hmm. uh, have now ventured into that area. My, my concern, though, is the uh, acceptance of that notion by the public. And one, uh, whether the public really knows about uh, this uh, alternative uh, and then how uh, acceptable is it uh, to them because in many of these things you're talking about uh, people driven by emotions mm-hmm. and uh, where emotions are, are high, uh, arbitration and mediation are the furthest thing uh, from the minds of the uh, combatants, uh, you call them uh, disputants, uh, but uh, the combatants in the situation. So what is happening in the community with respect uh, to uh, mediation and uh, uh, negotiations and the ability to resolve cases outside of the regular uh, judicial framework? Uh, I would say certainly awareness is a key factor um, you know, for the community to have heightened awareness about the alternatives. Um, and I will say that certain types of disputes, there is an expectation that you will have to go through mediation first. As Professor Glean mentioned, um, complex litigation, so superior court cases, um, usually are referred to mediation by the judge in that case. Um, And then also any party in North Carolina who has a custody dispute first has to go to mediation. So that's that's a norm now. You know, people may not be aware of it, but when they engage in a custody dispute, that's something that they will have to participate in. Same thing with um, Mm -hmm. divorces, with equitable distribution, Mm -hmm. so dividing the assets. That's also mandated in the state of North Carolina. The rules of professional conduct require lawyers to refer their clients um, to mediation and and educate their clients about the value of mediation versus litigation. And so we we adhere to that. I think they're adhering to it, uh, to that mandate, and that helps to generate some talk about how the disputants experienced that particular process and hopefully they talk it up (laughs) to Mm -hmm. other friends and family that they know um, are in a conflict one way or another. But you don't see many people advertising. Not it's not like the lawyers on television mm-hmm. or on the radio. <laughs> we don't have that resource, I don't think, do yeah. we? But many of us are are actually contractually bound to do arbitration um, with our cell phone providers, with a lot of a lot of companies that we get services through. Um, the contract that we usually graze through <laughs> um, has a clause in that addressing if there's a dispute. And typically, those companies are requiring that the dis- that we give up our right to litigate and instead go to arbitration. Let's let's talk about that a little bit because that's you know when we think about mediation or or any type of ADR in the litigation context, um, kind of outside of these providers, it it certainly seems like a beneficial um, option. But there are a lot of people that are concerned about mandatory arbitration in, say, employment contracts or with these like cell phone providers or just in the consumer space. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that, Mavis, about um, what concerns may exist in those contexts? Mm-hmm. 
people appreciate having the right to go to court and the fact that we have to give up that right to engage into a contract with another party, I think, can feel a bit dehumanizing and un-American um, and unfair. Um, so I think off the cuff, people don't appreciate a decision being made for them and people really do want their day in court and to have justice. I think the other concern is is fairness, um, you know, because the contract will say who the arbitration um, panel can come from and who bears the cost of the arbitration. So the decisions aren't being made by the individuals. They're being made by the other parties, the companies. Um, so could you really get your day in court? Could you have a fair process? Could you get justice is a question for a lot of people in those contracts. If it's a paper contract, I always go straight to that clause and mark it out because I personally want to have a choice if a dispute comes up. So I go ahead mm -hmm. and mark it out and put my initials. Mm -hmm. I, I know. Do too. <laughs> you do. In the emergency room when they're signing <laughs> these consent and releases, you better read it before mm -hmm. you sign it. If you're going to read any part of the contracts, read the dispute resolution mm -hmm. clause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but doesn't that create this, uh, I guess, uh, animosity? Uh, toward the concept uh, where you are forced into this kind of uh, mediation through, I guess, what many people would say is a rigged process where they have already self-determined who the mediators uh, are and those mediators are contractually bound to a specific entity that might be supportive of that, uh, of, of that industry and people get, a, I guess, a, uh, a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, from having to uh, deal with a process that many of them deem to be unfair. I will say that may be the case for arbitration, not necessarily for mediation. Mediation is often mandated in contracts. Um, I do think in cases where mediation is mandated and if the parties are not represented or and perhaps don't know what mediation is and what to expect, that they could have um, some fears about whether or not it's going to be a helpful process. Um, and with arbitration, yeah, I do think that it could create animosity um, about the process. I think if you remove the layers of, of you know, this being a contractually bound um, requirement, in many cases, arbitration could be very helpful because you could have a subject matter expertise where we don't have that necessarily mm -hmm. in the court system. You can have an arbitrator who knows the specific issue very well and is able to um, fairly render a decision that is helpful to you as an individual. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Pam? Yes, I, I agree. I think that um, arbitrate mediation may be a little bit, that concept may be more popular than the arbitration. So the more you know about that and the nuances that um, your lawyer could discuss with you and encourage you to say this might make it much quicker, much more efficient for you to resolve this issue mm -hmm. with the companies. And so uh, it's not the best option for them, but it's a good one. Well, just how expensive is uh, is litigation? Uh, because uh, mm. Professor Dawson talked about uh, that, and uh, I, I see our time is such that we have to take our break uh, right now. But uh, we're asking you to uh, stay with us here on the uh, Legal Legal Review, where we're talking about uh, arbitration, mediation, uh, resolution of claims outside of the uh, traditional uh, legal uh, process, and uh, we're going to continue that discussion when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
Since 2010, the North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre-law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self-advocacy. Both the pre-law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high-definition video conferencing. Course listings and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us. Uh, this evening we are talking with... Uh, uh, Pam Glean and uh, Mavis Gregg of the uh, NCCU Law Dispute uh, Resolution uh, Clinic, and, uh, and and Pam is the chair of the uh, Dispute uh, Resolution uh, Institute at uh, the uh, North Carolina Central University School of Law. And we're talking about alternatives uh, to uh, litigation. And when we took our break, I was posing the question about uh, just how expensive uh, litigation uh, is, knowing that the uh, level of the expense will depend upon uh, the uh, particular case and the time that's involved in uh, in that uh, litigation. But for our audience, because many of them have no idea about the cost of uh, going to court and hiring lawyers and going through all of the process. So could you give us some idea, uh, kind of ballpark uh, figures about how how costly uh, the, uh, the, the the court process can be. Well, I've had the opportunity to t do that, have that conversation with um, <clears throat> my clients when we're talking about alternatives or going to trial. As we know, you, have, uh, you can go to court, represent yourself, but it's not an efficient process. It is not um, welcomed <laughs> by the judges very often. Uh, because you really do have to have the knowledge, the procedural knowledge, and the substantive knowledge to m manage your case all the way through to um, the verdict or settlement. So it's expensive. You, you rather you end up saying, "I need a lawyer to help me navigate this," and and so you have to pay the lawyer uh, unless you find a nice pro bono lawyer who would do that for you, and it takes a lot of time. And so that's, that's an expense for people. Um, you, you don't, just because you have a trial date doesn't mean it's going to start and end on that date. Uh, depends on how slowly justice will roll <laughs> for that particular matter. And you're sitting there, and if you took off work to go to court, then you can clock up these hours you're missing. Uh, you may sometimes sacrifice your job because you've missed too much, and so there's some sacrifice of um, time and your ability to, to um, manage 
the time, you don't have much control over that. Mediation and a process, we can compare it if you want to when I'm giving the, the bad side of the, of the litigation. Uh, a lot of my clients had child care issues if they had to go to uh, court, and so, of course, you've got to pay, pay for that. Then you've got some witnesses you may have to pay, especially if you were injured. And you've got some medical witnesses who uh, have to come to court and testify about your injuries, for example. And so it's, it's more than money, and it's not to mention it's stressful. Uh, you don't have much control over the process. And so it is very expensive, and it can be very expensive to actually go to trial versus an option for one of these alternative processes. Yeah, I have, um, <clears throat> I, I know someone who has been in a long-term custody battle with their ex, and um, she said that she has spent over $100,000 in legal fees. Um, that's just paying her attorney and court costs. Um, that doesn't account for what Professor mm -hmm. Lean mentioned in terms of time lost at work and childcare, et cetera. I do think that's probably extraordinary, um, but I think uh, at a minimum you're gonna it's gonna cost you in the thousands. And there are other costs that we don't count monetarily, such as emotional costs, um, moral costs, social costs. Mm -hmm. I have a an estate. Um, I do estate administration as well, and I have an estate where they're losing their intergenerational wealth because they can't agree on how the assets are going to be divided, and now um, one of the family homes is in foreclosure. So they're likely going to lose that wealth, and that's a cost um, because they can't agree and they're fighting. Hmm. So, Mavis, you are the supervising attorney of our dispute resolution clinic. Mm -hmm. Share with our listeners what the students do, what you do with the students and, and what role the students play within the clinic. Okay. Um, I think this is probably one of the best classes at the mm -hmm. school because they do get real life experience in alternative dispute resolution. So um, it is helpful that they have taken the mediation class and they've been trained in mediation because they actually get to mediate cases. Um, <clears throat> they mediate cases with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So they're mediating employment disputes, um, usually between a an employee and a government, a U.S. government entity. Um, and that's great because that's a very specific area of law and specific type of dispute. And then they also get to mediate cases in the Durham County criminal court system in the district court. Um, so many people don't know this, but in North Carolina, civilians can report an, or allege a crime to the magistrate and the magistrate, if they believe there's probable cause, can issue what's called a criminal summons to that other party. And then they're all of a sudden in the criminal justice system and they have to go to court um, to adjudicate, to determine whether or not that person is guilty of the alleged crime. So it could be something like simple assault, communicating threats, injury to personal property. Um, and so in Durham, they have what's called people's court where they schedule all of the um, civilian warrant cases on a particular Friday each month and it, the idea is that these cases um, will be referred to mediation if it's suitable and then the parties have the opportunity to um, meet with the mediator discuss the the conflict and hopefully come up with a resolution and part of that resolution can be that the charges are d dropped 
against the defendant. And so the students in this clinic have the opportunity to mediate those cases. And then I also bring in professionals um, in various realms of ADR. So we had uh, the ombudsperson from NC State University. We had the president-elect of the North Carolina Bar Association, Leanne Neese Brown, who has a long history in dispute resolution. Um, we have an arbitrator um, coming on this Friday who mediates financial disputes um, with FINRA. So it's a really great experience that the students have, and I think that it has a lot of applications in their in their future careers as lawyers um, because they will have had exposure to the different things that their clients may experience. And you know what's wonderful about it is they not only get those skills that they're developing, but they're also focusing on particular substantive areas. So they've got the civil, the employment, mm -hmm. and then also criminal. Um, is this an area that is expanding as far as the legal profession? It, do you mean like doing alternative dispute resolution in those areas? Or? In terms of lawyers who oh. want to, who are looking for, you know, practice areas, is, is this an appealing yes. practice area for lawyers? It is. I think the reason that the courses are so popular is because students, there are several students who, believe it or not, come to law school but don't want to litigate. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and so they are amazed to see what the options are. Uh, that w does not require them to have to go to court every time they get a new client or something like that. And so I do think that um, it, it can be a viable option for them as part of their practice. I will say that right now, the, if you go out and you want to, um, after you graduate, you want to, instead of litigate, you want to mediate, then that's going to be a very tough market to break into. Um, so it takes some time, but everybody who's doing it is so satisfied with that practice. Yeah, there's actually studies that show that um, um, lawyers who have been trained in mediation and do mediation actually feel healthier from a mental health perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, how, how you said it, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to enter that area of practice, uh, is, is that across the state or is this just in certain parts of the, uh, of, of the state? I think it's across the state. Um, when I go to conferences and mingle with certain segments of the mediation profession, they are um, worried about uh, how many cases they take or are how many options they have for that. And most of them have dual employment. So they also are litigating mm -hmm. and mediation is part of their practice as well. Um, if I can add, I will say from, a, from the litigation perspective, many litigators have a roster of mediators that they want to use. And the same is true with arbitration. Um, you know, companies that are engaged in collective bargaining agreements and so forth, they have a roster of folks that they want to want to work with um, as third-party neutrals. So that definitely puts some constraints on the market. And I experienced that very early on. I've been mediating I've been mediating since I was 15, <laughs> so 28 years. Um, so since high school. Um, and I got a master's degree in dispute resolution, and I thought I'd come out of law school and, mm -hmm. and hang out my mediation um, <laughs> shingle. Um, but I didn't have what 
street credibility, so to speak. So even though mediation is very commonplace now in the legal field, many attorneys want to work with with um, mediators who have street credibility as attorneys, um, not necessarily based on their mediation skills, I would say. That's why it's so important that maybe uh, brings in these speakers to the classes um, to help them develop that networking Mm -hmm. um, skill and just, you know, meet people who have different experience in becoming successful in that field. Now, when you say street credibility, what what, what is it that you're, you're referring to? Um, I believe that a lot of lawyers who have parties who have to go to mediation or arbitration, they want the third-party neutral to have experience as an attorney. A significant aspect of mediating or arbitrating a litigated case is understanding client management issues and being able to assist the attorneys with their own clients. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of attorneys, um, they need that. They, they, their expectation is that the third-party neutral can help them with that, and I think they make that decision based on if the attorney has actually practiced law or the mediator has actually practiced law and been involved. And that's not all cases. I mean, sometimes um, people who have, uh, who are not lawyers and are mediators um, have a lot of experience with psychology or some other um, area of expertise that the attorneys can rely on to help with the dispute resolution process, but certainly the the norm is that they want people who've practiced law before and have practiced law for a long time. So you don't have to be a lawyer to be a, uh, a mediator? You don't. So what, what, what are the uh, requirements? Because I think there's a certification process somewhere along there's various the road. So what are the mm-hmm. qualifications uh, to, to be certified as a mediator in a given uh, community? <laughs> you want to speak about Superior Court cases? Uh, for Superior Court, which is what we've been comparing the uh, mediation process to lately for the complex uh, cases, there is a 40-hour training requirement. And then once the uh, lawyers or the students complete the 40 hours, they have to observe mediations uh, that are conducted by experienced mediators. You sit in and observe Um, and see how other people do things. Uh, Everybody has a different approach to lawyering, and so same thing for mediation and that that genre. So that is primarily the um, priority for you to become a certified mediator. Now, there are non-lawyer, that would be a lawyer mediator. You would have to be the lawyer and a certified mediator to be on the list for the superior court mediations. But there are other levels of certification because just like there are other levels of, of disputes within our court system. And so um, Mavis was talking about the people's court uh, and there are volunteers, ministers, psychologists, you know, everybody who has that knack for talking to people <laughs> and helping them resolve disputes. Uh, they would still have to go through some training um, to get that done. And I think we p- partner with um, the Dispute Resolution Center here in Durham. And when we first began at NCCU, we partnered with the Wake County um, Dispute Resolution Center as well. So training, experience, and knowledge and also a lot of heart. 
Now, you know, this discussion raises, this like immediate discussion raises issues of, of diversity. Mm-hmm. So we know, I think from, we can glean from, from what you two have been talking about that there requires that there be some trust between the parties um, and the person who is that third party trying to assist, be it, it as an arbitrator and particularly as a mediator. And if you don't have, and, well, let me just ask you: Is the is the um, you know ADR profession, and and I guess you know if we kind of think about lawyers, um, how diverse is it, and and what role does diversity play in assisting people um, who may not look like you know the typical mediator or, or arbitrator? Um, what role does that play in in reaching a resolution short of litigation? Yeah, I think that the diversity of the mediation profession mirrors the diversity of the legal profession. And as a whole, we're still majority of white male lawyers who are uh, within North Carolina, and the networking works that way. Um, so there are not very many min- uh, minority certified mediators who are able to enter into the superior court um, market for <clears throat> the resolution of complex <clears throat> litigations. We are probably ineffective at reaching out to our minority lawyers because they're already lawyers and they're just a step or two away from um, becoming certified mediators and it can be a good complement to your practice and so we really do need to do a better job of making sure that there is a diverse population of mediators so that when the parties come in they can develop that trust right away and um, just feel like uh, okay this person will listen to me or this person this mediator will understand me better Um, true or not it's the comfort zone that is developed with that. Now, once once certified, how long does the certification last? You have to renew. <laughs> how often? So, just like lawyers, we are required to take some courses, uh, renewal course, re- you know, just learn about new developments and um, new skills, and uh, of course, pay a few dues to it. And but they, it's every year, we um, we're obligated to renew our certifications. I will say that my hope um, with alternative dispute resolution is that just like with um, with legal services, clients are demanding more efficiency mm-hmm. and cost effectiveness. Um, I hope that lawyers and um, uh, ADR professionals alike are educating people about how cost effective and how more how satisfactory these processes can be as an alternative to litigation. And I hope that that will also force a change in the diversity of the profession because there are there are a lot of people who are trained as mediators and arbitrators and we don't necessarily have to subscribe to the the, the standard systems, you know, going through Superior Court or mm-hmm. any other um, court system, we can actually choose on our own to engage in these processes mm-hmm. um, and work with professionals who have um, cultural empathy and familiarity with unique um, aspects of disputes. Yeah.
Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And this hour, we've been talking about alternative dispute resolution with Pam Glean, professor and chair of the Dispute Resolution Institute at NCCU School of Law, and Mavis Gragg, supervising attorney for the NCCU Law Dispute Resolution Clinic and also uh, chair of the Dispute Settlement Center, which we will talk about in the, in the next segment. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we hope you will stay with us. We will be right back. The Center for Child and Family Health was founded in 1996 as a consortium of North Carolina Central University, Duke University, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the Durham community. Since that time, CCFH has become a national leader in research, training, and the treatment of childhood trauma. The mission of CCFH is to care for children and families affected by abuse, neglect, and other forms of trauma. Its professionals utilize a multidisciplinary, measurable approach to provide prevention services, treatment for children and families, professional training, and research related to childhood traumatic stress by uniquely integrating community-based practice and academic excellence. Its vision is that every child has the right to be loved, nurtured, and safe. As a center of excellence, CCFH strives to define the highest standards in the prevention and treatment of childhood trauma. In this way, stability and hope can be restored for children and their families. Information about the Center for Child and Family Health is at 919-419-3474 or the Center's website at www.ccfhnc.org. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with our guests about alternative dispute resolution. And we have with us in the studio Pam Glean. She is a professor of law at NCCU School of Law and also chair of our Dispute Resolution Institute, which is the first institute of its kind in the state of North Carolina associated with the law school. And Mavis Gragg, who is a supervising attorney for the law school's dispute resolution clinic. Mavis, at at one point during the last segment, you mentioned that you've been mediating since you were 15. Mm -hmm. So we've got to flesh that out. (laughs) (laughs) What, What got you interested in it? And how is it that you were able to kind of start assisting people resolve disputes so young? I was a peer mediator at my high school. My high school um, in Black Mountain, North Carolina, had a had the wherewithal to see that students didn't need to be disciplined in every situation, that they could instead have the opportunity to talk out their disputes. So they implemented a peer mediation program, and I was one of the first peer mediators. So that piqued my interest because I knew I wanted to be a lawyer for a very long time, um, but then I thought, oh, there's another way I can help people 
um, fine resolution. So I continued um, in college. I interned for Dispute Settlement Center in Carborough while I was at UNC Chapel Hill, and I went to The Hague, which is the, I guess, the <laughs> center of dispute mm-hmm. resolution um, in the Netherlands, and learned that I don't want to do international dispute resolution, <laughs> um, but continued to stay connected with Dispute Settlement Center and the, another community mediation center in Asheville um, during my early career days. and. Uh, yeah, it, I've been doing it. And I, I'm one of the folks who came out of law school, as I mentioned, and wasn't able to work um, to work as a mediator in the private realm. I worked in a, at a community mediation center. Um, and then I also was able to mediate disputes um, between buyers and sellers for eBay when eBay first started. Um, so this was mediation happening online which was very fascinating. I got to do international <laughs> <laughs> and um, And then, yeah, I did, I will say, from a professional perspective, I, I pivoted to practicing law, but then found in my current practice with working with um, heirs' property, so family-owned land, that there was a significant opportunity for me to use my skills as a mediator and even train people who own heirs' property in conflict resolution. So that's been really awesome. And it seems like that's a valuable skill for all lawyers to have. Um, And you also mentioned that uh, the research shows that those who are mediators are trained in mediation in terms of their well-being. Um, It's it's higher than maybe lawyers kind of, you know, collectively. And Mm -hmm. Pam, I know you mentioned that the writing course, Problem Solving for Lawyers. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about what what led you to be interested in alternative dispute resolution as as an area? And talk a little bit about your Problem Solving for Lawyers. Okay. Well, I the Mark Morris spiked my interest in this whole subject matter. He uh, he, I think I mentioned earlier, created the first mediation class at the law school, and he taught it during the summer. I was in a faculty meeting with him, and he said, you know, I'm going to have this summer class, and it's mediation, and he kind of described it a little bit, and I didn't have a summer class uh, to teach that, and so I asked him, could I sit in on his class and learn about it, and I just, you know, said, drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, <laughs> and, and, um, and he grabbed me and said, okay, now you're going to help me <laughs> do this and develop these programs, and, and it is a wonderful mechanism for living your life a lot differently than you would always. I think we're such a, especially now, such an adversarial-oriented society that the calmness within your being, knowing that you um, have a different way to approach certain incidents that happen um, in your lives and model how you speak with someone. As mediators, when we're trained mediators, we're trained to sort of set an example to the parties who are arguing with each other and we are speaking a different way. We're helping them communicate without insulting or hurting someone's feelings and so and it really does make you a better person and that's what the students like about it too is that oh I went home and I tried this with so and so (laughs) you know and it actually worked and so it is uh, that's what has led me to it and what has kept me with it uh, since 96 
Well, generally speaking, how 2006, su- I'm sorry. Uh, g- generally <laughs> speaking, just how successful uh, is uh, mediation? Because uh, you, you, you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, people are looking for their day in court, mm-hmm. and they're looking for the uh, opportunity to uh, tell their story and yeah. to find someone who uh, believes their story and will give them the uh, resolution that uh, that they seek. And that's not necessarily uh, the, 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 the opportunity available to them in mediation. So just how successful uh, has it been? That's one question. The other question I, I want to just raise also is the uh, what are the rights of the participants uh, oh. who uh, go through uh, the mediation in terms of their participation and their input and uh, their ability to uh, have their narrative uh, introduced mm-hmm. into the, uh, uh, the uh, consideration. What's your definition of success? For most people, it's winning. <laughs> uh, but uh, in terms of yes, resolution of the case right. to the satisfaction of the parties uh, that's involved. Yes, and I think winning uh, for most people think, you know, that I win, you lose. Yeah. And the area of ADR, as we know, even when we go to court and win sometimes, it doesn't feel like you've won. And so what the parties are really looking for is to be heard and understood. And as lawyers, we know that in court, we have to be bound by the rules of evidence. Some things you can say, the judge can decide whether or not he's going to cut you off because you've been talking too much. (laughs) He doesn't want you to be all emotional, maybe, you know, or she's uh, looking at a watch (laughs) and cutting you off. But the beauty of the mediation process is that it is, you don't have to be bound by that. Uh, You can speak freely. Uh, There are some rules, but you can speak freely. And so that there are, there's information that the mediator (coughs) gleans from that process that would never come out in the court hearing. Then the judge makes the decision. The judge decides what and how it's going to happen, the end of it. As opposed to mediation, it's, a, it's the parties' mm-hmm. process. They get to, the mediator will lead them to, um, through a brainstorming idea. You know, what do you want to see happen? People don't ever ask you that in court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so I think the success is that um, they come out feeling better about that process um yeah i can't quote success rates like in terms of actual resolutions but i can also i I would like to add to what professor glean said um there's also success for the community there's success for schools if you think about um schools that have implemented restorative practices which is which are also an alternative to um discipline restorative practices Mm -hmm. allows the um offender and the victim to converse in a way that's safe and allows them to um, reflect on what has happened. And, you know, it doesn't mean that the offender is not going to be disciplined, but it does mean that there's an opportunity for them to um, heal and move forward in a way that's 
uh, more positive. So disciplinary action still stays in place, but it can have a huge difference in the schools that use restorative practices and the court systems that use restorative practices. Our current dean, um, Elaine O'Neill, when she was a superior court judge um, in a case recently, implemented or used um, a restorative justice model where um, a neighbor had accidentally um, dislodged his gun and it shot a young girl. Um, you know, that technically is a crime and he was disciplined for that crime, but there was also a restorative practice that involved her parents, herself, um, the the defendant, and it didn't just, they didn't just walk away with this, this wound, both figuratively and metaphorically. So I definitely think there's a lot of successes for communities, schools, yeah people <laughs> that aren't quantifiable, so to speak. Um, going to the rights um, that you asked about, uh, mediation and arbitration are confidential processes, so um, the mediator is not going to testify in court or in any other form if it does return to that forum. Um, so you have that right, so to speak. Um, it's also voluntary, so even if it's mandated by a judge, um, the expectation is that you give a good faith effort with the process, but you are not required to resolve your dispute in that process. Um, that's different for arbitration, but for mediation, for sure, it's voluntary. Yeah, can yeah. you think of any other rights? That's her, um, they have a right to uh, speak privately with the mediator. Mm -hmm. um, we call them caucuses, so that if they have something that they want to say, but don't quite know how to say it to the other party, or what the result might be, mm -hmm. then they can, as, as I say, you know, it's part of the process for them. They can request that. Um, the mediator is, should not be giving them legal advice, and that's one of our, our uh, their protections for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but the process is a right for them as well, so. Now, Mavis, you, you were talking about the inclusion of these um, ADR um, techniques beyond just the legal environment into the community. And you are chair of the Dispute Settlement Center out of Carborough. So what is that organization? How does it serve the community? Excuse me, Dispute Settlement Center is a community mediation center. So that means it's a nonprofit organization. They offer their services at a sliding scale rate, and they offer a variety of alternative dispute resolution processes. They offer mediation you know, with divorce, um, with the civilian warrant cases. They offer facilitation services. So if you imagine a developer in Chapel Hill and the neighborhood where they want to develop a new project, Dispute Settlement Center has offered services where they facilitate the conversation with all those parties so that they can design the future of that area together. Um, they offer restorative uh, restorative practices as well, so they're very heavily involved in the school system in Orange County as well as Alamance County and have done some work in Durham County. Um, and they offer training. So they are training mediators, they're training facilitators, and most recently we've started a community dialogue practice where community members will have the opportunity to talk about difficult issues together. Um, but it's been around for 40 years. Uh, in 1978, three women were going to court in Hillsboro <laughs> and noticing, criminal court, and noticing that a lot of these criminal court cases were um, ending in, in people being convicted of crimes, but the dis actual dispute 
not being resolved. A lot of these cases, and I've mediated <laughs> over a thousand, I'm sure, are, are just human cases, you know, a, a dispute over a driveway, like how should the driveway be cared for and who should be care, caring for it, and it escalating into someone mm-hmm. threatening or yelling at someone or maybe damaging the driveway, and it ends up in criminal court, but the, it's not being resolved from a interpersonal perspective. So these three ladies suggested to the the local court system, hey, why don't you let us take some of these cases and mediate them, get them off of your 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 roster so that that saves costs. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, these community members can get resolution that works for them. And so Dispute Settlement Center has been doing that for 40 years. This is their 40th anniversary. And I guess I've been involved with them for over 20. <laughs> now, how, how can citizens engage in the uh, mediation uh, process? You, you mentioned the three uh, uh, women who were in, in Carver, but if there is a, a private citizen and they're having a dispute mm-hmm. uh, with a uh, neighbor and they desire uh, for there to be mediation, but mm-hmm. the neighbor isn't necessarily interested uh, in that, how can that person uh, begin the mediation process, or is it possible that you can start a mediation effort uh, that the other party is uh, ultimately is not uh, agreeable to? It does take um, both parties or all parties to agree to use mediation for mediation to happen. Um, in the context of working with Dispute Settlement Center, for example, a party can contact the center and ex- and explain the situation, and then the center will contact the other party and invite them to share about it and invite them to try mediation as an alternative. And I think a lot of times once people understand that it's low risk, you know, they're not losing their right to go to court. Mm-hmm. They're not losing a lot of money to try mediation. They're amenable to trying it, especially in the community mediation context. Now, where, where can you find these uh, mediation uh, centers? You, you, you talked about the settlement center in Carborough. Mm-hmm. I know there's one in uh, yep. Wake County. There's one in Durham County. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where else in the area uh, do, you, uh, do you find or how can you find, uh, make, uh, make contact with these mediation centers? Um, so, yeah, Dispute Settlement Center's web address is disputesettlement.org, that, so that's pretty easy. Um, and I know if you Google Elma Spalding Center in Durham, it will come up with the results for their web address. I'm sorry, I don't know the address off the top of my head. But um, you, I think if you Google Community Mediation Center, North Carolina, it should come up with results. Um, there's a whole network of community mediation centers in North Carolina, mm-hmm. the Mediation Network of North Carolina. Um, and so they may have a website I haven't checked recently, but mm. if they want it to go through the community mediation, but certainly if they want to hire a private practice mediator, you can Google mediator Durham. <laughs> I definitely suggest that you check them out and compare just like you would in hiring any other professional, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of folks out there, so it should be pretty easy. And what advice would you give maybe a young person who is listening to um, this show and has and this has piqued their interest and they're interested maybe not even necessarily in being a lawyer but kind of doing with what you did Mavis in mm-hmm. terms of you know starting with the process early on uh, what advice would you give? Um, I I think it's important to volunteer I'm, as a personal value I think it's important to volunteer but it's also a great way to get experience so volunteering with a community mediation yes. center or interning with a mediation or an arbitrator um, I think that helps 
just get experience, but then also think about how you can develop a niche. Like I've always worked with real estate and I, with my practice, I work with family owned land. And so I'm able to see where this particular area is high conflict and I can provide a service there. Um, you may find that your niche is that you speak a diff another language. There aren't a lot of multilingual mediators in the Southeast. Um, you may have specific skills with employment disputes. So figure out if there's a particular thing that you are really good at that you can develop into a niche. It could be that you know um, information technology, you're, you know how to code, you know how, to, how those systems work, maybe you can mediate those types of disputes. Um, so yeah, volunteer, consider what niche you may have, and then anytime you have the opportunity to get training, try it, especially if it's at Central. <laughs> there you go. What would you say, Pam? Yes, I agree with that. Um, I think that, and, and they travel these nonprofit organizations, <coughs> they train at different levels. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so don't be intimidated by the process. Mm -hmm. Just reach out to them. And it seems to me that I can't think of any either profession or legal focus where this would not be beneficial. Um, Mavis, what do you think about... Um, maybe not a requirement, we might not want to add additional requirements on, on uh, lawyers, but what do you think about <laughs> lawyers, uh, you know, kind of just collectively, you know, being trained in negotiation, mediation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have actually asked for that to be a requirement <laughs> okay. for law students. Right. <laughs> um, certainly, you know, there are we want law students to graduate and be prepared to pass the bar in mediation and arbitration are not on bar exams. Um, so I know that priority for law students is to be equipped to pass the bar and then go out and actually practice law. But I think it would be great if law schools, at a minimum, had students take an ADR class so that they just learn the different ADR processes that they're going to be engaged in. Um, yeah, but that's a wish that they are required to take some yeah. sort of ADR class. The American Bar Association had published a article about whether or not ADR should be required oh, yeah. in law school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Pam, I think I recall at one point when you were talking about your problem uh, solving for lawyers that um, there was a there was a meditation component. Am I remembering yes. that correctly? And so <laughs> when Mavis was talking about the bar and getting students ready for the bar, I, I remember a story mm -hmm. that you recalled, which is because of that class, there were students who, when they were in the bar, mm -hmm. actually felt more grounded because of the meditation practices that yes. they got from your class. Yes, there was a student who took the lawyer's problem solver class and it's not a bar tested course <laughs> but it's a it you know has a life component to it and she when you're under stress and um, you know on the verge of a panic attack or something important is happening and it, the stress sort of interferes with your ability to think clearly and the meditation brings you back calms you down uh, kind of just sit, settles you much better and that that's what happened to this student she she read the question on the bar exam and had no idea what to, <laughs> I've been there yeah <laughs> I think we've all been there <laughs> what to do but okay and so she became uh, she settled herself down and meditation is really a good 
uh, help. And it's part of the mediation okay. practice as all well. All right, all right. Well, we're going to have to end it there. We are out of time. Um, but we'd like to thank our guest, Pam Glean, professor of law at NCCU School of Law and chair of the Dispute Resolution Institute, and Mavis Scragg, who is the supervising attorney for the Dispute Resolution Clinic at Central. Uh, she is also the chair of the board for the Dispute Settlement Center, and she has her own law firm and focuses on estate planning. You can reach her at reach her at Gragg Law Firm. Uh, and as always, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for taking time out of your Sunday evening and sharing it with us. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next week, stay informed and engaged. Thank you.